podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Celtic State of Mind, my name is Laura Bradburn uh, I'm alive is all I can say I passed a very late fitness test I am doped up on whatever uh, And uh, I'm here to talk I have to admit, Tony, Jim I was hope- I-, I really was pushing through the pain barrier to be here Because I was expecting expecting this to be the big day <laughs> Expecting the later we went on in the week it was this week, it was this week, it was this week. No news yet, but we will get into all of that. We'll get into the communications from the club and all of that stuff. But to start things on a lighter note, we'll start with my my usual team. Can you guess the Celtic player from the team quiz? So you guys know who it is for everybody watching. There was two main guesses that kept coming up on, on Twitter. David Fernandez and Javier Sanchez-Broto. I can say for certain if you were in the Javier Sanchez-Broto camp then you were correct so he played for Zaragoza B Colts team wonder if they are a good idea we'll find out uh, then the Zaragoza main team Villarreal Castellon Malaga Airdrionians Livingston Celtic Murcia Getafe and Heracles or Hercules I should really pick teams that I know how to pronounce Tony I'll come to you first what are your memories of Javier Sanchez Broto and his apparently only eight appearances for the club my memory is that he had a fantastic game at Ibrox, didn't he? Yes. Back from one of the trips, uh, and we're forced to play like kind of forty-eight or seventy-two hours after they played a European mm. tie, and played at Ibrox, and they won, and he was pretty flawless and faultless. And I've mm. always maintained that Martin O'Neill's Achilles heel at Celtic was goalkeepers; he just couldn't pick a good one. But Broto was the best out of the ones that we had at the time. And I maintain that had Broto played in the EFA Cup, you know, they were the, they probably won. His big, yeah. sh- big Sherbet dab let us down <laughs> on that occasion. Uh, and, I, you know, and I think most Celtic supporters look back fondly at the brief and fleeting appearances that he made and have mm-hmm. the same opinion that they, they could turn the clock back, they would wish Javier mm-hmm. Broto was in goal in Seville and take their chance that night and we'd Probably might have won it. Yeah, I think so. Jim, Jim, I think uh, Tony raises a good point there and it's something that I know uh, as a Celtic supporter who 
only very, very briefly remembers the end of Packy Bonner's career. A good goalkeeper has been hard to come by in the 32 years I've been watching Celtic, but Javier Sanchez-Broto came pretty close to, to one of the better ones we've seen, do you not think? I would echo Tony's comments there. I think O'Neill, that was one of the areas that if we, if we had a good goalkeeper, then that made such a difference to the team. Whether we'd win the Seville, who knows? But um, it's one of these things that you always think, what if, what if, yeah. what if? And it was quite a bizarre one when you can look back on it because uh, he was cup-tied. He was cup-tied because he played for Livingston yeah. in Europe. Yeah, yeah. Because Livingston got third the year before. So you think of all the kind of bizarre circumstances that add up to something. You know, it'd be different if he was cup-tied with, with Hibs or Aberdeen or something like that, but to be cup-tied by Livingston and they're not able to play. Yeah. There's a what-if there because obviously a goalkeeper is a kind of key position in the team. And as Tony said, maybe Big Rab could have played a wee bit better in the final uh, and maybe... Uh, he might have made a difference but who knows as you said he only played eight games Beach Ball Sunday being the highlight of the eight games that he played and uh, he looked a half decent goalkeeper yeah so yeah that, that, that another thing about Beach Ball Sunday that always makes me laugh I, I seem to remember the Rangers supporters bringing Beach Balls and Sombreros when they qualified for the final in Manchester but originality mm. was never their 40 but we'll, we'll carry on anyway mm-hmm. um, carry on to uh communications from the club they have been a plenty this week Tony <laughs> and as usual we complain there's no communication until there is and then it's of that standard we'll talk about the the season ticket statement alluding to the fact they had hoped to appoint or announce the manager before uh, the season tickets went out what was your impression of the statement what was your impression of the whole way they went about it I think you say that a good syllable there, the state. The state, <laughs> of, that, the state of that statement was, uh, yeah, it was all over the place. And I'm a journalist to say, like me or love me, that's what I am, that's what I do. Words are my currency. I was pretty lost for them when I viewed that statement. And I made a clip on a personal group chat that I said it was written by a seven-year-old with a half-brick. <laughs> There are more, there are better seven-year-olds at school able to communicate better English than that statement. Yes. Campaign for manager, stuff like that. And I don't know who sanctioned that statement. I wouldn't want to guess, but surely someone in a high position at Celtic would have been able to produce a better communicate to the fans in that. After all, that's the first time they'd spoken to the fans to give them any information Poorly constructed, just grammatic, grammatical wise, it was terrible. And also, I also say before we came on here, remember Jim Trainer's Rangers statement, which can famously contained the word concomitant, and every man, woman, and child ran for a dictionary to see what concomitant actually meant. You know, these are statements that you remember. You won't remember that statement. And, how can Celtic produce a statement that doesn't actually tell you anything, says nothing, but they cock it up? I mean, it's frightening. Now, I was held to very, Tim will say it off here as well, most people are held to very high standards because they compile reports, they compile written analysis, whatever. You know, you, you construct sentences in English in most in every job. And uh, I just I just found it very poor. And when I'm working and and I write something, I have to give it a hundred percent. And especially when I started in the Daily Record, there was there was a lots of people that I was in awe of because their their wisdom, their knowledge, and just the the way they, they knew the business was frightening. And it, it it helped you. It made you become a better writer. It made you become a better journalist, you raised your standards so much, you pulled your socks up and you would be ashamed to produce something like that, to be honest, and pass it off as fit for a national newspaper. Mm-hmm. And uh, for that to be deemed fit for national consumption for Celtic supporters, then I'm in the wrong game. I really am. Yeah. I, I just found it staggering. I really did. Yeah, um, Maravchik25 commenting on YouTube and thanks to everybody commenting on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. Maravchik25 saying it was amateur hours. Zinkovics on YouTube saying, honestly, it gives up with this board. Uh, it's real um, 
bit of a wind up BSO and get good afternoon everybody so good afternoon Zinkovic thank you for commenting really appreciate it Jim as Tony says um, you and I are not journalists by trade far from it the journalists uh, tend to have a very specific skill with words and can communicate in a way that many of us aspire to and envy but even in, in our lines of work you know especially in the day and age of email and all that kind of thing you know the ability to write in communicable English uh, in a way that can be interpreted the way you intend it to be interpreted is is a vital part of the part of the job. Did you? What did you think of the statement? Um, was there anything anything that you particularly liked or disliked about it? I think there's two parts to it, Laura. Uh, actually, how it looked and then the actual content of it. And people might say we're being a wee bit pedantic in terms of how it looks. But my theory in life is that if you can't do the small things right, how do you trust someone to do the big things right? And I was listening to Kevin and, and uh, Colin on Wednesday, so in the statement had come out then. So I'd, I'd seen a bit of it before I looked at it. And then when I looked at it, as I said, this might sound a bit pedantic to people, but the formatting of it, the English of it, I had to read the first, the first paragraph three times to say, what's this about? And then I text Tony. To say, what's your view? Is it just me that thinks about this? So for lots of people, that really won't matter because, you know, it's just words at the end of the day. But they've had months and months to put that statement together. They could have issued that statement three months ago. So there's no excuse for the way it looked. In terms of the content of that, uh, interesting content, I think no matter what they put out, people are going to have a go at them. There's nothing they could say within that communication that was going to uh, make fans happy. In terms of the content, I think they were looking back and they were looking forward and there was a bit of a rallying call as well. In terms of looking back, you could split that into two. You looked at the performance and looked at the added value, as they call it. And in terms of the performance, I was quite surprised at how meek they were, how apologetic they were. Because if it was me, I would have been on the front foot, double down on this, because if you're on the board, you're looking back on last season, I'd have been saying, well, last summer... You know, we just delivered nine in a row. We won the League Cup, won the Europa League section, beat Lazio home and away, and we're two games away from the quadruple treble. We kept all our star players, and we're about to sign six more to add to the squad. We were all dead confident, but things didn't work out the way they worked out. You know, so we'll dust ourselves down, and we go again. You know, front foot, look forward, let's go. And then the added value, the added value is they shot themselves in the foot. As soon as they said those two words, added value, because added value to me and to you, Laura, and to Tony, are three different things entirely. And Kevin, in the Wednesday bulletin, forecast what they were going to do, a token gesture, a voucher, a £50 voucher. They were well not doing that, basically, because I think they had to buy the goodwill of the fans. They had to spend some money to get that goodwill back. And if it was me, again, I don't know the finances of the club, I think it would have cost them £5 million. Give every season ticket holder £100 off next season's season ticket because there's lots of, going to be lots of people who are on the fence a wee bit about next season so 100 quid off next season would have been would have been not a bad thing you know that cost the club 5 million quid but it's tax deductible so cost them 4 million quid or an alternative to that another one that would align with the values because I want to come on to the values that they mentioned as well the values of the club they could have said we'll give you £100 back and you've got till the end of June to claim the £100 back and if you don't claim it back we're going to give it to four local food banks, charities, mental health, whatever, just like Paul John did at Christmas there. So I don't really need the £100. If we went to a food bank, I'd be happy with that. And that would align with some. So it had to cost them money, I think, to buy the goodwill back. But here's a £50 voucher. You then look forward and all the stuff about what they're going to give you next year, none of that, uh, none of that is of any use to me, is of any value to me. Skills thing, 10% off, the number seven restaurant, go and watch the team training. You know, it's just, that means nothing to me at all. And what I said back in October in the bulletin, when we were talking about last season, it was a lack of foresight that annoyed me because what's going to happen next season is we're not going to get into the games for the whole season. So what's the plans for that? I've got no plans for that. And what I said at the time back then, and I still feel at the moment as well, is that if I'm paying six hundred pound for a season ticket, it covers twenty games. It's about thirty pound a game. I reckon fifteen pound for a pay per view is reasonable. So every game I miss, they should give me fifteen pound back. 
but put the game on pay-per-view and open it up to non-season ticket holders and fans of the other teams as well. Now, do they think there's maybe 50,000 non-season ticket holders in the UK who would buy a match on pay-per-view? So if they're going to give me 15 quid back, well, Laura pay 15 quid for a pay-per-view. You give that I to I was going to say, they, they only need 49,999 because I would buy it. So. Aye. So, so basically what you're looking for is something that ends up in cost neutral. And, and they should have done some research on this. And also last season you were seeing uh, teams like Hibs and Motherwell fans were saying, we want to watch this game on pay-per-view, but we can't get it on pay-per-view because they haven't offered it because season ticket holders will get angry. So for me again, the kind of vision thing is lost. You know, am I going to have the same situation again this time next year unless Dom Mackay is going to sort things out? And the last thing I'm going to say, because I'm rabbit knowing too much, is the kind of rallying call again. Because I, I took a print out of the statement and as usual we've got the kind of one club since 1888 thing. But what I found intriguing was the line that said, our club was born in adversity. It raised in defiance and defined by no other. You know, and I've said before, that sounds like we are the people for the good guys. You know, and, I, and I hate those triumphant <laughs> statements. And then they say, with their own standards and own values. So you then ask the question, what is your own standards? What is your own values? Because this has been a season where there's loads of words have come out all during the season. And because we're on this, because Paul Jones having to do this every single day, we're pouncing on certain words. And I remember after the Ferenc Varos game, Paul jumped on the, the word when Neil Lennon said, we have to change the culture. And Paul rightly kept holding that for a few weeks. Culture, culture, culture. And when the statement got issued back in December, that said virtually, we're not going to sack Neil Lennon because it goes against the values of the club. I homed in on that. I said, what is the values of the club? Tell me what they are. Because I don't know what they are, really. But if you ask me what the values should be, it should be honesty and transparency and accountability and all those kind of big words. I don't really see that. Because what I said a few weeks ago with Dominic Mackay coming in, I called him, he's got legacy issues to deal with because they've not been dealt with before. You've got the boys club issue, you've got 10 years of cheating reassigning those trophies. You've got the year we didn't get into Europe, which we should have. And you've got the secret, the secret five-way agreement. How can you have openness and honesty and transparency if you've got a secret five-way agreement? So I'm struggling to see what the values are. And it annoys me when they put things like that in a statement because it's so woolly. And as I said, no matter what they put out, people wouldn't be happy. But it annoys me when they put things like that in as well. You know. Anyway, yep. I've said my piece. Uh, well, yes, Tony. Before I before I come back to you to to perform somewhat of a, an autopsy on everything that Jim's just said there, um, Kevin Graham, who we mentioned was on on Wednesday with Colin, has, Colin. I'm going to pull him up here because there's a lot of music shows on a state of mind which everybody can go and watch, and I, I'm I'm quite often laughed at in the chat for my. What, what should we say, boy band heavy tastes? But Kevin really has so. said, yes, well, Kevin has said in the words of Boyzone, Celtic say it best when they say nothing at all. I will have you know that was not actually a Boyzone single. That was the debut solo effort by their lead singer, Ronan Keaton, and appeared on the 1999 soundtrack for Notting Hill. So, moving on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the back of his box. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Tony, um the fifty pound voucher that Jim touched on, there was a lot of um a lot of chat about that online and uh, and in various messaging groups across the country, I'm sure. Um First of all, do you agree with Jim that it's probably not the best way to have gone about the 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 refund? And also, there was an interesting bit in the FAQs that I saw that said, uh, you know, if you choose not to use it, that money will go back into the rebuilds. Now, I don't know how your decision whether or not to spend free money in the club shop uh, or not but contributes to the rebuild. But what, what did you make of that whole bit of the the added value? I think I'll pass on the Celtic strawberry bonbons, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> not for me. I don't think you can disagree with anything that Jim said there. I mean, you know, people have to do research. Jim said there, they can't get the small things right. What chance do you got of getting the big things right? There's been utterly no research done on this at all in terms of what added value 
they'll rue the day we mentioned these words, you know, are they value? Uh, but it seems to me, if Jim and lots, lots of other people come up with the fact that a straight £100 off, or if you're going to give any kind of discount and the Celtic supporters don't want to take up on it, put it to food banks and stuff like that, these things are common sense. Absolutely and utterly common sense. And you, you would find a lot of Celtic supporters would rather donate it to charitable causes and spend it in the club shop. Because quite frankly, I think that's a bit of an insult. You know? I mean, what, what do you need out the club shop? What, what does any Celtic supporter need that they don't already have? You know, it's an absolute nonsense. You know, I mean, I was being flippant there with the strawberry blonde. But you get my point. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's complete and utter tat at times. Apart from when they're, uh, you know, maybe buying the, the Celtic strip or whatever, you know. But I, I think Jim's nailed it there completely and utterly. You cannot fault anything that Jim said there, and just the way that Celtic have gone about this, and it, it, it is Zinco that said it's just amateur ever mm-hmm. to bottom at this moment in time, and uh, you know, and the, the communication from the club be non-existent, and I get. Well, Jim also said that at some point there would be Celtic fans wouldn't be happy with any kind of communication, but I think the communication that came out this week it's been pretty insulting. Mm-hmm. You know, and the fans just feel so disenfranchised and disillusioned that it doesn't matter what you offered them. They would just be like, that, do you know what? No. And quite a lot of them are, are saying they're withholding their season ticket money until they know who the new manager is. You know, the first community would, should have been to introduce the new manager. You know, as it's just... Uh, and as Jim alluded to there, the legacy issues as well, and moving forward, I mean, the, the whole club just in a total state of flux and turmoil, really. You know, we all hoped that the new manager coming in would be the uniting factor, but it seems they can't even get this right at this moment in time, and the wait goes on. You know, so it, it doesn't augur well. No, it does not. Um, Jim, talking about that and about the, the the new manager coming in being a, a, a sort of driving force for season ticket sales. Now, the, the club did acknowledge in the statement that they had hoped to appoint or, or to announce the manager. Now, Natasha quite rightly pointed out on Twitter that mm. had they said a manager rather than the manager, you might have thought that they were a bit less... Are further away from from the actual appointment than than saying the manager that suggests there's somebody in the offing that they just can't name yet. Um, I put a tweet out myself and said uh, that I was quite shocked at the season tickets and the friendlies being announced before the manager because not because I don't think we have to plan for the future, but because I just expect it not to be done in that order. And, and to tap in, Jim, to, to the, the banner that we've got on the show today, letting the Eddie Howe deal falter at this stage uh, spark major crisis. I know it's all speculation at the moment, but do you think this continued delay and moving on with other announcements is indicative of any issues with the Eddie Howe deal? And if it is, hypothetically, you know, where would that leave us if that was to fall through? I think you made an interesting point there where you said that did the statement have the word the or the word ah? We've just mm-hmm. said the whole statement's a mess, so I don't think people are that clever that they'll say we'll put a the in there or an ah in there. You know, yeah. so that's, that's kind of number one. Uh, I think all our eggs are in the Eddie Howe basket. At this yep. point in time, and I think most of us think that uh, once his contractual obligations are up, come the first of June, then Eddie Howe will be in the door. Uh, if he's not, as you've got in that banner, would that spark a major crisis? It depends who Plan B would be. Uh, if I put all the bags in Eddie Howe's basket and Eddie's changed his mind, there's not a lot you can do about that. Uh, but he's a plan, a plan B, and as everyone said, and all the bulletins were running out of time. Uh, yeah. Eddie Howe would be the ideal guy. Uh, I'm on the Eddie Howe bus, as I think most of us are. Uh, yeah, and it would spark a major crisis unless they came out and said, and here's the other guy we've got waiting in the wings, and it's somebody who who the fans think is a good appointment. And it's not a, no disrespect to John Hughes or, or Jack Ross or any of the guys. It's a you know another name that you can say, yeah, okay, fair enough. Eddie didn't work out. It's also the fact that, I mean, one of the things that I think is fairly valid is the fact that if, you, if you're aiming high, 
all the time. As Tony always says that, aim the highest as you can. If you're going for the best, then other people want the best as well. So sometimes it doesn't work out. If you want somebody who's not that good, you've only get somebody who's not that good. You know, again, no disrespect to Jack Ross, but if you wanted Jack Ross, he'd be there now. No issue. Yeah. If you go for somebody big, and there's lots of complications, and what actually tends to fascinate me more these days, and maybe it's like I'm getting older thing, because I've seen lots of things, is <laughs> that uh, so much happens off the park these days. You know, and as football fans, when you're younger, you're quite simplistic. Go and get that manager. You know, and the complexities within that are astonishing. And uh, I watched Amy's interview with Jock Brown a couple of months ago, and I read Jock Brown's book at the time. You know, and Jock Brown's like a much maligned figure, much the same way as Fergus. But Jock Brown's job was incredibly complex to bring mm-hmm. a number of players to Celtic Park. So the more complex things are, the more chance that things are going to go wrong. So all our eggs are in the Eddie Howe basket, and if it goes wrong, hey-ho, we need to start again. There'd be a major disappointment if that was to transpire. I thought of one thing, Laura, and if the Eddie Howe deal falters, it's just that bit in aeroplane, airplane, the film Airplane, where they tell yeah. everybody to run out of coffee. <laughs> I just that's going to happen, and people lose their head, and it'll be like, oh, you know, they'll just go off their nuts. To use a Glasgow parlance expression. Don't <laughs> well, Hel- Helen McCallum on YouTube has commented that this rate Eddie Hill will be announced in the Christmas ad, which I really <laughs> hope is not the case. But, but Tony, to pick up on what what Jim, one of the things that Jim said there, you know, all our eggs are in the Eddie Howe basket. I I don't know if it's just because I don't pay as much attention to to these ongoing sagas at other clubs or whatever. But I can't, I'm not aware of a situation where somebody's so openly linked with a club for so long to the point where all other names that were mentioned in the first instance fall away. I mean, we are in a position, surely, where if if not Eddie Howe, then who? Because Roy Keane, who looked close to, or, or if rumours are to believe, was actually spoken to about the job, his name's not been mentioned anywhere near uh, recently. Um, Lucien Favre briefly was mentioned uh, because he left his, his job earlier. Um, and in the meantime, club after club after club in Scotland, England, elsewhere, are, are appointing managers within days, sometimes maybe a week of, of getting rid of their previous manager while we just sort of stagger that, on. I don't know that there's a really a question in here. I'm looking for that, <laughs> looking for, that, for help. That's why I... Celtic have quoted this guy for the best part of three months, haven't they? Give or yeah. take. Yeah. Well, that's why you can't afford to fail, really. You know? Because you say to yourself, surely every hurdle, barrier, deal breaker would have been spoken about in order for you to advance talk, talks to any kind of stage. And as you say, and I've kept saying as well, no one at Celtic and Eddie Howe has ever said anything about this. So that's why I was convinced that it was so far down the line. And then you to go to the pedantic stage where appoint the manager, not a manager, that kind of thing. You seem to think there's a, conf- a hidden confidence there that they have their man. But the timing of it, I mean, I could dug up the other week for calling it a saga. And as Jim said there, it is a complicated process. I get that. But surely not at this stage that Celtic are dealing with complicated processes. See, if you're a big club, you iron out all these things. You say, what does it take to get you to come to manage your football club? We think you're the man. You go and get the man if you've identified the man. And then he says... It takes X, Y, and Z, and you give them X, Y, and Z. If you really believe that this is the man to be the manager of your football club and take you forward, and you've got every confidence in the director of football thing, okay, maybe that's a stumbling block with Virgo Harkin, Richard Hughes thing, and I get that. But these are things that surely can be ironed out, not something that's going to be a glitch or a snag. Mm. Well, you have to approach this as, you know, human beings and adults, not something that you take so far down the line and say, right, that's it, it's off. You know, it's just, it'd be staggering, utterly staggering and bewildering if this falls through at the last minute because there would be only one party to blame and it wouldn't be Eddie Howe. 
I think the answer to the question, Tony, is money, because it's always money. Yeah. Now, now we're, we're totally dependent on, on Eddie Howe, so we've got no control over this at all. How could we have got control? I think we've waited till his contract has run down. So if we wanted him back in February and it cost us two million or three million quid, then we'd be in control of the situation. He'd be in the door. And obviously we're just guessing. We've no idea what's actually happening. But if, if that was the case, it was well, let Eddie Howe's contract run down, we get him for nothing in June, or we pay three million pounds in February and we get him there. And then we're in total control of the situation. Uh, and okay, he might not be one to be linked to last season, but that would certainly put us in control of the situation and you can start to plan for the for the next season. And we wouldn't blame him for last season. So things will always come down to money. And yeah. if we had a chance to get Eddie Howe back in February for a reasonable cost, whether that may be two or three million quid, and didn't do it, then that would be very typical Celtic. If it all well, yeah, you spoke about honesty and transparency. I would want someone to come out and say, this was down to money then. Yeah. Is that the actions of a big club, do you think? It is the actions of a big club, because you're telling people how the deal fell through. Mm -hmm. I think that... Sorry, There's no no other excuse, is there? Mm -hmm. She's under the sun. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. But if you're going to be honest and transparent, you come out and say, listen, he wanted too much or he was costing too much. I'd rather know that than not know it. Mm-hmm. And then think, Sorry. And go on, Jim. No, just uh, I didn't mean that Eddie Howe wanted too much. It was the fact that uh, to get Eddie Howe out of his contract, we'd have to pay more yeah. of the money to get out of his contract. Yeah. So, and this has happened in the past where, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say John McGinn again, but the John McGinn thing was that <sighs> we'll just let that lie because he'll, he'll want to come and play for Celtic. So that's the card we'll play. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll stick and then what happens is it just falls apart. So we've done this before. Hopefully that's not the case again because we're trying to be more positive because last season's finished we move on and hopefully we get this thing tied up. And if we don't, hopefully there's a good plan B in place. Keep it positive. Yeah. You don't trust them to have a plan B in place, but that's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> plan C then. Or plan D. That's what we want. You know, I just, uh, you despair. You utterly despair. Well, on that note, I think we'll tr- we'll try and move on to something a little bit more positive. Now, Tony, you raised that you raised an interesting uh, a talking point that you wanted to talk about today, um, uh, and I'll come to you first on it before before I come to Jim to see his thoughts. A club that did go out and get their man, get the man they wanted, was Villarreal, ex club of Javi Sanchez Broto, as we were talking about at the beginning of the show. It's proved uh, an excellent decision because, as we all saw during the week, they saw off uh, Manchester United via penalty shootout to win the Europa League. Um, Jim has said numerous times that, that progress in Europe is what we should be aiming for because the domestic trophies, you know, for Celtic should be should be the standard. So, um, I, and I totally agree with that. You you were talking about how, you know. If Villarreal, a club of their size, which let's let's not beat about the bush, is probably one of the smaller clubs in um, in Spain and has been punching above their weight for nearly twenty years now. What what is the difference between us and them that they seem to be able to to compete at that level, get the managers they want, create an atmosphere that 
attracts players that probably wouldn't otherwise go to that club. What do, what do you think they're doing right and why why can't we do that? A lot of people say the you know the Spanish league, uh, the TV rights they get a lot of money and, and I get all that right, but try to tell me Villarreal are a bigger club than Celtic. No chance. Absolutely no chance. I I that's the first thing I said in the group chat when Villarreal won the Europa League. If they can do it, why can't we? Or or certainly if they can do it, why can't Celtic get to the latter stages of that kind of competition? Mm-hmm. The the financial disparity shows that and supporters ain't going to like this, but Celtic are a Europa League club. Bottom line, yeah. you know, the success for Celtic is getting to the group stage of the Champions League, maybe possibly getting through the group in a last 16 tie and, and taking their chance. And that, that would be great success in that tournament. But I think... Uh, I think there's, there's nothing to suggest that Celtic can't win the Europa League moving forward if all the building blocks are in place, you've got a good manager and good players. Because you should be able to go into the latter stages of that competition. Martin O'Neill showed it. But you could do it. You know, Brendan Rodgers' teams in Europe were, you know, it wasn't enjoyable watching Celtic getting scudded 7 nothing and 5 nothing. You know, it's just not enjoyable, uh, uninspiring. But I think Brendan Rodgers is making a point to those upstairs at times, saying, well, don't give me the tools, you can't compete. We couldn't compete. You know, being beaten 5-0 by PSG at home showed you uh, you couldn't compete at that level. Yet Martin O'Neill's team went toe-to-toe with lots of European big guns. So if you get if you get the structure right, then mm-hmm. you can't compete at a level that, that suits you best. And that level is Europa League. So I don't think I don't have any qualms about the fact that uh, Celtic should be able to get to the latter stages and in the future win it if, Valerie, if teams like Villarreal can do it. Rangers have shown you that you can compete in Europe. Yep. Done very well in Europe. Being organised, got the right man in, the right set of players, the right kind of uh, tactical formation and style of play. You know, not fantastic to watch, but it's been effective for them. Yeah. You know, so if, if Rangers can do it, then Celtic's performance in Europe has been utterly abysmal. And as Jim rightfully said, you are judged on your performances in Europe. They find you as a big club, which is why Celtic are a big club, because they won the thing with the big ears in the week of us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the 54th anniversary of it. So, you know, hat tip to them for making Celtic the club that they are today. Lesbian lines, of course, but that's why you're a big club. Success on the European platform in that stage. That defines you. And if Villarreal can do it, then why can't Celtic do it? I pose the question, why can't a public Celtic emulate that feeling? Yeah, I I mean, I'm in agreement. I, I, I think... Uh for some people watching they might look at what we're saying here and say that it's arrogant to suggest that we know we're a bigger club than Villarreal or whatever what we can say at the very least is that we have a a higher European pedigree maybe not in the last 20 years but certainly going further back Jim, taking on board Tony's comment, do you agree that you know, with a change in the way that we are run we should be competing with clubs of that ilk or, or, or you know, outstripping them at that level? Absolutely. I mean, everything Tony says is spot on. Uh, building blocks. Uh, I've used the word vision before. It's a vision thing. So how do we know Celtic are doing well? Uh, fast forward to five years' time, how, how would I measure success? The number of uh, European coefficient points that we have. That's how I measure success. Because if you have, I mean, I think we have something like, Last time I looked at this was 40-odd, something like 45th. And if you look at the coefficient points in the last few years, it's gone down the way each season, whereas the major rivals across the city, incrementally they've gone up year on year on year. And that's what we should aim for. And if you make good decisions, nine times out of ten you get good outcomes. So it's about building blocks, it's about getting the right manager, a modern thinking manager, getting the right players, young, hungry players, tactically, technically good uh, 60,000 people coming to watch the team you know there is no excuse for doing a lot better than we're doing just now I think the Champions League is beyond us I mean, even the last 16 is beyond us Europa League yeah if you look at the teams that have done well this season including the major rivals across the city they've done exceptionally they were very unlucky not to enter the last eight you know so there's no reason at yeah. all why we can't do that no reason at all 
Yeah, I'm totally agreement with both of you. Thanks everybody for commenting on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. One thing that I just wanted to say, if you hadn't seen it last night, it went live. Um, Amy Canavan, Soccer, Soccer Supernova, she had uh, to interview this, this week Paul Elliott, uh, ex-Celtic player obviously, um, and Actually, I didn't know an awful lot about his career, but I didn't realise he actually worked under Billy McNeil at Aston Villa as well. So, if there's a if there's somebody you're going to learn from as a centre half, who better than than Big Caesar anyway? Um, Tony, I don't know if you had a chance to see it, obviously, but um, you and Jim will have more memories of Paul Elliott than me. What kind of a what kind of a player was he? What kind of a a, a man was he to to represent the hoops? First and foremost, he's a cracking big guy. I had a couple of dealings with him uh, journalistically and interviewed him a couple of times and a lovely smashing big fella, uh, which is always good when you speak to somebody for the first time and you don't know what they're like, but great to deal with. I think Paul Elliott was another one of these great players at the wrong time. You know, John yeah. Collins fits into that mould as well. You know, it just came at the time when Rangers' star was on the rise or, you know, they were sweeping everything domestically, you know, and I, I love Paul Elliott as a player. I thought he was a tremendous footballer. I thought he was a tremendous defender. And there was a there was a joke. I think the not not the view did it. And it was brilliant because there used to be a, a magazine and it was called You Are the Ref. And then they would give you scenarios. It's football, the rules of football to see how well you knew the rules. Yeah. They always give you an A, B, C, or D, and then you need to guess which one it was, kind of thing. And not the view did a kind of skit on it. And every one of the D's was, do you A, award a free kick, a goal, a bike, or D, book Paul Elliott? Because Paul Elliott booked 15 or 16 times in a row and created something, a record in Scotland. And he wasn't a dirty player. Uh-huh. He created some record where he got books, like, I think it was 15 or 16 games in the spin. And you're thinking, wow. And he just wasn't that kind of player. So it became a running joke. And I think that was not the view that did that. <laughs> you are the ref, do you? Bump, bump, bump. Paul Elliott, you know, standing joke, but Paul Elliott was a tremendous footballer, you know, and again, Jim will probably say it, just that mismanagement and mishandling of Celtic, that, that was a guy you could have built a team around. He was yep. a clock, he was a centre-half, you know, could score goals and had no amount of skill, you know, but just the way the, the club was run at that particular time, almost running into the ground, Guys like that could have been absolute heroes for self, but fondly remembered because of still being there and giving their all. And Paul Elliott was a, a guy that gave his all. And, you know, I think the Celtic supporters loved him for that, despite being there at a time when you wouldn't want to be a Celtic player during that particular period in the club's history. It's just thank, a thankless task. Yeah, and follower Celtic on Twitter has uh, commented Elliot never pulled out a tackle, so he's already uh, won a point above above your favourite Christopher Iyer as far as that's concerned, Tony. Um, Jim, uh, Jim, I don't know if you've managed to see the interview or not. I, I only caught the first sort of 10 minutes of it, but I'm certainly going to go back and watch the rest. Um, what are your memories of Paul Elliot? And, and to... to echo what Tony said, I think from my knowledge of the time period that he played for the club, he certainly played for them at a, 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 a tumultuous time for the club, at a time of great uncertainty I, I think he's a an influence um, from what I've read and what I've seen of him that would would go down as well in the club today as he did when he was here the first time It wasn't very long I think it was a couple of seasons uh, mm-hmm. and I think he, he would have made an ideal captain I think we said a few weeks ago we were talking about Paul McStay and I think the captaincy weighed very heavily in Paul McStay and if Paul Elliott had been there for four or five years then he'd have been an ideal captain at the time but I think you'll know how good Paul, Paul Elliott was if you ask most Celtic fans to name who they thought their best team was say after the Lisbon Lions say from the mid-70s onwards if you depict your best Celtic team I think you find Paul Elliott in a lot of those teams uh, I did a podcast with Paul John about a year and a half ago something like that and he asked the question Who, who's your all time favourite Celtic team I think it was post Lisbon Lions or something and I think I mentioned earlier in the team because uh, that's how good he was yep. at the time so I think, that's how, I think that's how you measure of how good a player is because people have seen these players and seen other players throughout the club's history and put him right up there uh, with the kind of Johan Mialbys and the Baldies and even, even the Van Dykes I mean uh, obviously Van Dyke's wanted bigger and better things but in terms of playing in Scotland I'd have said earlier it's right over there with Van Dyke uh, and so also I, well, I, a I, guy that never played that long either I like 
like in Delhi to Mark Reaper. I thought they were just two yeah, clapping yeah, yeah. elegant defenders, yeah. right? And when I'm naming my eleven, I always find it hard to separate the likes of Reaper Elliot and that guys like that, yeah. you know, because I, I loved the both of them, I thought. For the amount of time that they were actually there, they, they gave their all, you know, and uh, circumstances dictated that they left. But, uh, you know, they, they're still very much players that I, I really admired and adored for the short time they were there, you know. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. Without having spoken to you about that, you've said straight away, I'd put Elliot in with Reaper and all these kind of guys. So I think, <laughs> I don't speak for anyone, but yeah. I think if you had asked Celtic fans, I think a lot of them would likely say, Big Elliot's in and around yeah. uh, one of my favourite centre-halves in the past 30, 40 years. So I think that speaks, speaks for itself. Yeah, I think uh, I made the point earlier in the show that in the last 30 years or so of, of following Celtic, I've always uh, thought we struggled to to get good uh, goalkeepers, but we've certainly never struggled in the centre-half uh, area. We've had, in more recent years, Van Dijk, Denier, going further back, you've, you had a back three of Valharan, Nyalbe, Baldi, you know, and then going even further back than that, you had Reaper, Stubbs. You know, we've never, ever struggled really to get centre-halves. Arguably, centre-half pairing at the moment is probably the weakest we've had in, in a long time. So hopefully that's something that we can sort going forward. Common denominator, back- common denominator, Laura. They're all yes. big guys. Yes. Right? Yes. They're all guys that would terrorise you or should terrorise well, I was I was going to say I had a conversation with somebody this week who uh, you know was talking about how or, or uh, you know so and so is not physical enough or so and so is not strong enough and I I think that's a bit of an old fashioned way to look at the game but I certainly don't think so when it comes to the centre halves and the defenders yes they've got to have a football brain that's maybe more advanced than it used to be they're not just expected to head it back in the direction it came from or lump it out to, to Rosette. There's got to be more ball playing in it and more passing and that kind of thing. But certainly, you know, it never 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 fails to to help if you're big, broad shouldered and, and, and strong in, in the defence. Defending's an art, Laura. It's yes. an art form. Right? End of story. Defending's an art. Now you master the basics art of defending. You can work on everything else then that's when the ball playing comes. If you can head it you can tackle, you can anticipate, you know, all those, all these kind of things. Then once you've, once you've done that, the rest follows because yeah. you, you become a better player by the fact that you have mastered the art of defending. Yeah. And that's how you become a good player. In my well, opinion. One, one of my favourite things in football to watch, and this is not to be too contrarian about it, is and Giorgio Chiellini that plays for Juventus is a big one. He celebrates as much as a striker scoring a goal when he makes yeah. a tackle that stops somebody else and I, I think that's great I think that's that's what you want in a defender surely I've got a very simple view yeah I've got a very I've got a very simple view of football always had very much analogue in a digital age to just quote Tony there I want five people who can defend and do nothing but defend plus a goalkeeper can save and five guys who can attack and do nothing but attack I know that's a very simplistic view of life but, but that's it and that's how lots of teams get success. And the team has won the league this year. And that's what they've got. Five guys who can defend and defend well and five guys that attack. Uh, but I also remember back when, when Tommy Burns got sacked and we're going to that season trying to stop them doing the 10. And Joe Kinnear's name was getting mentioned at the time. And he read managed Wimbledon. Yeah. And I thought, if we get Joe Kinnear, maybe that's not a bad shout. Because what I would do is have a good goalkeeper and, and eight Vinnie Joneses. Just <laughs> four guys at the back who just kick anything that moves. Four guys in the middle who kick anything that moves six foot two, and the Canyon and Cadetti up front, and would have stopped the ten. That was my game plan. Was joking here because what tended to happen with Tommy Burns' team is they get bullied all the time. And if you yeah. had a team with eight, if you had a team with eight Vinnie Jones in it, you wouldn't get bullied. Wouldn't be great to watch. You know, one nils, one nils, one nils. But it all turned out where we win Yamson anyway. So I, I, think I, would have, I think I would have preferred Roy Kinnear at that time. Listen, listen, you're you're not <laughs> listen, you're not in bad company, Jim. Johan Cruyff's one of my footballing idols, and, and you know everybody talks about him being a football revolutionary and, and that kind of thing. But he's got a very 
simplistic view of football as well, you know, keep the ball yeah. further away from your opposition's goal and they're less likely to score and, you know, it's all full of sayings like that, so so it's not a bad thing, but um, we went on a bit of a tangent there, not a bad thing, but I wanted to get back to, um, and Jim, I'll come to you on this first as the as the, the financial guru of the, the Axom <laughs> contributors. Um Although we've been talking about the fact that, you know, we aren't a, a, a Champions League level side and, and we're very far from it, you know, these days even to get into the to the group stage would be a would be an achievement. Um there's gotta be some worry there, I would think, uh, from higher up at the club that, you know, it's it's now a number of years since we were in the the group stage of the Champions League and the, the financial hit that that's going to take on top of COVID is going to cause a problem. Do you think do you think there's major concerns if we don't qualify for the group stages of the Champions League this season, even just from a financial point of view? I think if we don't qualify and the major rivals do, I think that's a huge issue. And mm-hmm. If we don't and they don't, from a domestic point of view, as I've said in weeks gone by, I think next year's league campaign will be fairly close. Mm-hmm. Because I think they've had an extraordinary season and they won't have that kind of season again, as we showed when we had the Invincible season. You know, we went for 106 points in 82. So they're not going to get those kind of points again. We've had a really bad season. So we'll put more points on the board. They'll put some less points on the board. We might end up being not that far away. In fact, in the Glasgow Derbies this year, they had 10 points. They were one. If we can reverse that, there's an 18 point swing. So to answer the question, we don't get to the Champions League. If they do, we could be in trouble. If we don't, then the league will take care of itself. To echo the points Tony's made before about building blocks, I think we want a good manager in as soon as possible, sign some good players, tactically, technically astute, and let's see where that takes us, and try and build incrementally, year on year. Everything will come down to money, Laura. Everything always does, and we have to yeah. be careful about what we do with the money. And I know I get a bit of a slagging on on here when I say some things like, I wouldn't pay players more than 10 grand a week. Now, you might add a bonus system to that, because you have to watch the money, because you know if you don't watch the money, you could go bust, you could get liquidated, and as we know, that's it finished, you know, don't insult my intelligence. The liquidation isn't forever. You don't want to go down that route. Mm-hmm. When I hear people saying things like, oh, well, we could send Josh Doy for three million and Nisbet for four. To me, I'm thinking, no, that's not what I would do. And I saw a young guy, Montgomery. What was the game he played? Was it St. Johnson? Yes, yeah. He looked really good, you know. Yeah. So do, do, you, do you give Montgomery a game or do you pay three million pounds to Josh Doy? Discuss, you know, yeah. because all these things come down to money. You know, and you have to be very careful with the money you've got. And also, just kind of echoing the last point there, I wouldn't spend big money on guys that play at the back because you can coach guys at the back. You can coach people to be destructive. You know, you've only got to look at Scotland set up, the Kilmarnock set up, Motherwell, these kind of teams. There, they're you know, they can coach guys not to lose goals, but you can't coach guys to score goals. I don't mean that to be sounded there, but you know that is that's where you pay the big money for, you know. Yeah. So to me, yeah. I wouldn't pay a lot of money. So so you have to be careful. So if it's Eddie Howe, no matter who's coming in, he's going to be given X million pound to spend in terms of the transfer budget. He's going to be given X million extra, possibly to spend on wages. He has to be very careful how he uses that money. And the guys in the week, I heard the guys talking about Lewis Ferguson or the, or the boy Campbell. Yeah. So you can get Lewis Ferguson for three million pound or Alan Campbell for nothing. To me, Alan Campbell for nothing. Because how I judge players, I don't I don't watch a lot of football these days. Uh, again, it's an age thing. I think I think with the COVID this year it's been just it's just been horrible watching football. So I've hardly watched much football and I can only assess players and how they play against us. And apart from the last game I've seen, Lewis Ferguson, I don't think he's kicked the ball against us, whereas Campbell I've noticed. I know they're not similar players, but spend nothing in Campbell, I think in terms of the wages we pay both of them would be pretty low. So would I, would, I, would I put three million in Ferguson or nothing in Campbell? I would go nothing in Campbell. So the question you posed to me is, financial guru, <laughs> was, uh, I think we have to be careful with the money that we've got. And, it's, and I said before, it's not about buying big, it's about buying smart. You know, spending five million pounds and I'll be in a Yeti, well, that's good. Mm, didn't turn out so well. Five million in Barkaz, that's good. Didn't turn out so well. We could have got Marshall on a free transfer or the Hibs goalie for 500,000 or whatever. It's about being smarter in terms of what we do. And how you judge if that's a success or not is the outcomes. You know, so sometimes you make good decisions with bad outcomes. Something like Shane Duffy 
people would be thought that's a good decision, but it's a bad outcome. Yeah. And, and not to go back to last season again, but people would tend to look at the appointment of Neil Lennon as a bad decision. But in fact, his first season there was a good outcome. But in yeah. his second season, not so much. You know, so the money will always dictate everything. And that's you actually always almost came back to the very first question you asked about season tickets. Season tickets drive how much you can spend on players. And you can't just say, aye, spend three million on him and four million on him, seven million to Hibs for two young guys. And again, I've said in the past, if you're doing that kind of stuff, that's a shocking indictment on your ability to identify players. Because we should be getting Joyce Dog before he becomes Joyce Dog Joy. Yeah. If you know what I mean. You know, we should be taking a chance on a Kevin Nisbet at Dunfermline as opposed to waiting to go to Hibs. I'm not saying all these guys would be playing in the team, I'm not saying that at all. But if I was in charge of the finances, I'd be a bit concerned when we're spending money on people like if we were to spend money on that. Because we've only got to look in the last few years, the people like Bayou, Kuasi, Patrick Clamala, these kind of guys, you know, were these sensible buys? No, really. You know, and people kind of say, well, it was only two million. Two million is a huge amount of money for Celtic. Not if yeah. you're in English football, it's, it's nothing. But two million to us is a lot of money, you know. And if the season tickets are going to go down, then there's less money to play with. So we have to be have to be smarter. And that's why somebody like Eddie Howe, you think, well, he will think the things. So, and the thing I was thinking as well, that if you're an Eddie Howe working down south, you know, spending £20 million on a player is nothing. So yeah, he, he would have to change his mindset completely. Because you know, for, for spending £3 million is a lot to us. You know, so if we get Eddie, he has to change his mindset a wee bit because we have to look after the money. Yeah. That's me so much. No, I'm in, I'm in total agreement with that, and I think that's that's one thing that uh, we can all criticise Peter Lowell for a lot of what he's done during his tenure at the club. But one thing he has done is made sure that we're a financially viable uh, institution um, over the years and remain so. So, and Michael the boy on on Twitter has commented. Jim totally agrees with you. Alan Campbell is a no brainer for me. Good player, as Turnbull would testify. And you know, if you could join that together, Tony, yeah. on you go. Making the point that you could read, those two could be reunited. So, two of them play the best football with Mother right? Get them for nothing, but it all comes down to your scouting network as well. I've banged on about that. Uh, how can you not identify Josh Doyle and Kevin Isbitt before they go to somewhere else? You know, where is your scouting network? You know, why, why are Celtic not watching these players from very early on and not having to shell out like three million quid for Lewis Ferguson, as Jim said? It's, I mean, it's a total no-brainer. You get Alan Campbell for nothing or well, three million quid for Lewis Ferguson. If it comes to a choice, there is no choice. You know, building blocks again, being a big club, having all these things in place, yeah. a real scout network, especially for what's under your nose. You know what I mean? These things should fall into place. You know, and, and, and spending you know, crazy money on the likes of Yeti yeah. and, you know, just it's, it's just it's staggering a club like this does things like that make, continues to make those mistakes because that network isn't already there they'll tell yeah. you it is. they'll tell you it is but it clearly isn't yep. you know the most in front of them go on, no, go on. also just about in the last season we spent the guts of 13 million and up the wage bill by at least 6 million pound was that good value for money could that have been spent more wisely that's the issue for no, me and you only- know so and, and my thing about signing players, <laughs> my signing policy has always been the same. Sign good players. Sign yeah. ones that are scouted and you know that are good players. I get Jim's argument that a player might be a good idea. They don't all work, right? But if you sign good players, you've got half a chance. Don't sign unknown quantities for lots of money and think, we hope he comes good, or projects, or things like that. Sign good players. It's no hard to work out who they are if you're doing your scouting right. You know, I just it, it, it is mind-boggling that Celtic cannot get this right. And I've had so many bad players come through the doors in recent years for staggering amounts of money. It, it, it's it's frightening. It beggars belief, really. So where is this scouting network that they're supposed to have if they're supposed to be a big club and people doing their due diligence on scouting? good footballers or identifying good footballers. I've said before, you and I could watch next season the French League, Italian League, Spanish League, pick a, a European League and say, come up with a list of candidates for the problem goalkeeping position 
or the problem right back position, then you would give Celtic a list like that. You could, if that, mm. that was your specific remit, to go and find me a player, a goalkeeper. It's not hard. You, you'd identify a good footballer. The, the other thing, the other thing that's concerned me about this season as well, and I've said is, it's not even about looking elsewhere for players. It's about identifying the players that are worth their shot at the club. You know, Turnbull took six months to get into the team when, when arguably he was fit enough to be in the team before that. Sorrow had no injury problems that we were aware of. Uh, came in and made a huge difference, and, and for reasons as yet unknown to us, uh, didn't get into the team. Ewan Henderson comes in fleetingly between loan spells and, and mm. puts in decent performances that I think would improve with, with an extended run in the team. Montgomery comes in, has a, a brilliant performance as part, uh, in terms of a full, full team debut in a team that wins 4-0 over St Johnston when they've struggled to win other games this season and then is immediately back out of the team. So there's a, there's a lack of consistency not only outside the club and how we identify players, but how we identify and nourish and nurture the players that we have at our disposal in the club. It's like like Jim said before, spending three and a half million on Klamala, are you telling me there's not somebody, somebody, anybody in the youth setup that can do at least as good a job and you've not wasted three and a half million on a guy that's back out the door for zero loss but zero gain as well? No, I mean, that's my point. I'm sorry, I think that's you go, Tony. No, go on. No, I think that's the point I'm trying to make in that uh, if you take the lad Montgomery uh, Montgomery costs nothing Josh Doyle costs £3 million discuss again mm. you know so I think we have been poor in terms of our squad management you know we've said that all last season giving people games and I used to get slagged rotten in the first few bulletins I was on because I kept saying we've got five subs why don't we use five subs and that was my kind of every single week five subs why don't we mm. use five subs and we didn't take that opportunity because guys like Sorrell, Turnbull should have had some game time. I'm not saying they should have started, but they could have got 20 minutes here, 25 minutes there. And that young lad, Montgomery, looked a half decent player. You know. and, we, and we talked about Dembele as well, somebody who could have maybe a bit, a bit of game time. So I think it's, it's the kind of uh, easy thing to do. And it looks good going out into the market and splashing money on this guy and this guy and this guy. But hold on, these are, these are millions of pounds here. And you just have to be a wee bit smart in terms of what you do. And to go back to Tony's building blocks thing, if you've got the right manager in place who knows exactly what he's doing, with the right coaching staff and sports science and dietary and all this kind of stuff that goes with it, and a scouting network that identifies the right kind of players, then you've got half a chance of doing okay. And to me, again, the measure of that will be the coefficient points going forward. That's how you measure success. You also know yeah. what's coming from the academy as well if you're, you're hands-on. So you will know the players you have at your disposal and the the youth ranks you know so uh, it's just it's, I don't know I, I just as Jim got back to earlier I, I've got a simplistic way of viewing football as well you know and I think these things just sort of go hand in hand you know and it doesn't make me an analogue man in the digital world it just sort of I see things through a certain prism and I, I, it all kind of it makes common sense to me about these, these things so. that yeah. happen you know so also the fact that the fact that we don't see these players, the manager will see them every day in training. You know, so if if the lad Montgomery's you know, doing really well in training and is outstanding and putting in cross balls and if Dembele's taking people on and stuff like that, and you see that in training day in, day out, why wouldn't you throw him in? Because you know he can do it. Oh, whether he can do it in front of a big crowd, and then again it's been COVID, so there's no crowds anyway. So 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 there's another reason for putting them in, you know. So I think that squad management is something that let us down. That should be rewarded, Jim. Guys like that, yes. youngsters like that who are performing well in training, they should get rewarded so that it encourages others to say, well, if he yeah. didn't do it, I can do it. Right? That's the way it works. Again, going back to a simplistic thing, a youngster making waves at first-team training, promote them to the first team. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. Yep, no, I, I totally agree. I think uh, maybe maybe we are being too simplistic, but football at its at its best is a simple game. I think, and uh, that's probably the probably the the note to end on. Hopefully, we'll have more positive news for you in the coming weeks. Thanks everybody for getting involved. The comments have been uh, coming thick and fast, and uh, we really do appreciate everybody taking the time to watch us. And um, you can obviously catch up on this and other shows uh, on the State of Mind YouTube channel. Uh, they remain 
remain up there uh, for you to rewatch at your leisure. Uh, thanks very much, Jim. Thanks very much, Tony, for another brilliant Friday. Um, and we will hopefully see you again soon. Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.